Welcome to Veg Out, brought to you by the Toronto Vegetarian Association, aka the TVA. We come to you virtually from our homes and we are heard on CJRU 1280 AM, The Scope, Ryerson's Campus and Community Station. My name is Swetha and I am joined by... Steve. Sarah. We are volunteers with the TVA and our mission is to inspire people to choose a healthier, greener and more compassionate lifestyle through plant-based eating. On today's show, we are talking about... I don't actually know how to say what we're talking about. Sarah, do you want to take this one up? (laughs) Sure. Well, you know, I like alliterations and it's February, so I was thinking February, vegan facts and foibles. But then we sort of realized that we only had facts and no foibles. But we'll see what comes out of this conversation. We'll see. Shh, that was supposed to be a secret. We weren't going to tell anyone about that. (laughs) (laughs) So this this episode has a little bit of history. We were trying to think of something like Halloween-y. Uh, back in October, and we were thinking, okay, well, how about we have some, like, scary vegan facts, and we couldn't really come up with any, and then it turned into, like, weird vegan facts, and it's just been, I don't know, knocking around in our heads, and this is what we have. Okay, let's get started with the fact, or the, this fact that, uh, okay, you know when people talk about intelligence, human intelligence, I feel like they often talk about brain size, and our brain size is, is bigger than that brain size that mice have and like they'll use that as a as a way to say that we're smarter <laughs> so okay. i i recently found theory. out that neanderthals have bigger brains than us yeah isn't that weird it's neanderthal is like a synonym for stupidity but they have bigger brains than us isn't surface area what matters for uh, uh for intelligence rather than the size of the brain in terms of mass I think surface area. So if it's a crinkly surface, it has more mm-hmm. surface area. And I think we excel in that way. But, oh. uh, but, but an elephant has a bigger brain than us and, and okay. might be smarter. But, uh, but a lot of animals with bigger brains don't have the, as many crinkles in their brains and therefore not as much surface area. That, that's the, the understanding that I have of it. Now I'm, I'm, you know, I'm simply a high school graduate. I haven't uh, researched any of this stuff, but, uh, that, that's my understanding of how that one goes. Your degrees don't matter, Steve. You're very smart. Okay. Anyone that listens to this podcast knows that you are full of facts. <laughs> this man knows about everything. Uh, but so the, I always thought it was a ratio thing. So I'm not sure about the, the brain folds, but that sounds somewhat uh, familiar. But I always thought like it was a ratio thing. You know, if you're like yep, this yep. big, then your brain should be this big. So when people talk about like mice have such small brains, but it's like, yeah, but their bodies are small too. And so that's basically the reason for Neanderthals. They use their brain differently than ours, but also their bodies were a lot bigger. So that's why they needed to uh, have that, that larger brain size. Were they? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Who wants to, who wants to give us another one? Sarah? Sure. Well, I don't know why this came up. I think maybe it's because Veganuary, is that how you say it? Veganuary just finished, and which is exciting because a lot of people who are not yet vegan are giving it a try. I feel like something that comes up a lot for me in my conversations is people are very um, uninformed about soy, particularly phytoestrogens. I don't know if this is just me in my conversations, but whenever you mention that you're vegan or plant-based, people often say, oh my gosh, like I'm so scared of eating soy because it has phytoestrogens. So I just wanted to share that, I mean, phytoestrogens are compounds that naturally occur in plants. It's not actually like animal estrogen. Um, fun fact, cow's milk has a lot more animal estrogen because it is from an animal, right? And cows produce milk. 
Um, so that's just kind of an interesting one where I think a lot of people just hear a lot in the media, you know, the dairy industry is quite powerful about how soy is bad and it's an estrogen mimicker and blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, people are actually eating real animal estrogen every time they have dairy. So that's just maybe a vegan myth that I think is worth talking about because I'm sure some people have allergies to soy, so of course they would not be eating it, but I think generally speaking, you don't need to be afraid of soy. Um, you know, edamame is wonderful, tofu, tempeh, lots of different options. So just wanted to share that. If Unless you're allergic to it, maybe don't be so scared of soy. Yes. And, and about the, the idea that it has more estrogen or the fact that it has more estrogen, it's also because they keep them pregnant, right? So they have those pregnancy hormones running in them while they're they're producing their milk because they're kept pregnant, I think, like nine out of the 12 months of the year or something like that. Oh, and yeah. so you're getting estrogen from from that source as well. So it's quite high. And I think when, um, you know, like if you look at a really overweight man, it almost looks like he has breasts. And that's that's actually the estrogen from the cow's milk that is at work actually, you know. But it's more likely from cow's milk than from soy. And that's I think needs to be, we need to remind people of that, too. Yeah, in, for sure. In a lot uh, of those, in the vast majority of those cases. Yes, there's a misunderstanding about how, like Sarah said, like the phytoestrogen works. The way that Neil Bernard, Dr. Neil Bernard explains it is like, it's almost like it's quartz and, uh, like a, where ships dock. And so the phytoestrogens take up space in, in those ports, but it doesn't have the same effect as estrogen. On your body, it doesn't have the negative effect of estrogen on your body, so it actually prevents the the bad estrogen from something like milk uh, from coming into your body. So that's that's vaguely how I remember it. But uh, definitely read his books. He talks about it in pretty much every book he writes. So just pick up one of his books, and you'll find information on estrogen uh, from cow's milk, and uh, I, and I'm assuming actually any animal milk and how that affects you negatively. Yeah, I think there was one study, you know, one of those ridiculous scientific studies that showed that the only negative effects that were or felt or experienced from phytoestrogens were when people were drinking like three cartons of soy milk every day, you know, and that was leading to elevated levels of phytoestrogen in the body, which presented some negative effects. But that's just like kind of over the top to me, like who was drinking three cartons of soy milk a day, right? So it's just goes to show you that these um, these facts that are presented to us, you know, when you're not reading the scientific study itself, you're reading a summary of it, like, it's hard to understand what the conditions were um, within that study. And so when you when you read something like, oh, you know, um, soy leads to men developing breasts, like that is such a ridiculous um, outcome that is being communicated. So anyway, I've just also a good just reminder like, to read your studies. Yeah, it's just uh, apparently it was just like one study for the longest time. I don't know if there are more studies now. Probably there are. But for the longest time, it was just one poorly done study on soy. And everyone was quoting that same study again and again. And so it led to, you know, all these people saying that soy is negative. But it's like, no, it's just based on this one study. Right. It's um, it's uh, scary how the scientific community can get kind of circular like that. So this one bad fact goes and, oh, that's our foible. That's our foible. There we <laughs> go. One, <laughs> this one yeah. bad fact keeps circulating and keeps it, and it sounds like it's like look at all these sources are saying it but if you look at those sources primary sources then it's like no it's actually just one source that's saying it mm-hmm. exactly it's interesting how yeah people take things like that way out of context and uh, you shouldn't eat ridiculous amounts of any one thing 
is what it amounts to. You should try to have a balanced diet of of a number of different ingredients. Yes, just uh, just don't say that to a kid after he goes trick or treating. But that was not for Halloween episode. It's not applying at all. But you can use that kid as an example. Because <laughs> I mean, they get a sugar high, you know they've got a sugar high. Yeah. Uh, okay, Steve, take it away. Interesting thing I think of often when I get in, like pretty well all vegans are foodies to a certain extent. And uh, uh, just how human history handles things, I think it's about 250 years ago that processes were developed to polish rice and to sift wheat flour so that you could get white white flour and white rice being the results of those two. And uh, in both cases, it seems to have gone right around the world. I've talked to p- people from the Orient, and they said, yeah, well, in my culture, they always said that only the poor people eat brown rice. And when I talk to people from Europe, they say only the poor people eat brown bread. The, the merchants use the same myths to get people to switch to the white product. And you notice that these days, the white products are less expensive even though they're more processed. So there's an extra process involved, and they wind up producing them cheaper. And in the, in the West, with the white flour, there's two things involved. They, uh, there's the, the milling and sifting to make it white flour, and then they enrich it. So that's an extra cost. All they're doing is putting back a few of the uh, nutrients that, are, that you're losing by not eating the bran and the, and the germ. It's interesting how in various parts of the world, the merchants use the same thing in order to sell these products and get people to switch to the white. Now, why is brown rice more expensive than white rice? Why is whole wheat flour more expensive than white flour? Mm-hmm. I'm fairly certain it's because of the, the shelf life. So when you start stripping yes. away the nutrients, it ends up landing, lasting on the shelf for a longer period of time. Yeah, okay. but the problem with the shelf life largely is... The in- insects and rodents prefer the, are looking for nutrition, so you have more costs of uh, keeping them out of it. Oh, really? Right? Yeah, <laughs> I didn't hear that. We should be learning something from these creatures. <laughs> so I guess it's, I guess it's both things, right? So it's like one one product actually just goes bad faster and also gets attacked more. Yeah, the uh, with the flour, there there is the additional one that once the oils in the wheat germ are exposed. They oxidize and go rancid, and it affects the flavor. You lose some nutrients out of it, but but it, not enough to hurt you as such, as long as you replace the nutrients somehow. But uh, but it affects the flavor. And uh, for bread makers out there that want to experiment on this, if you can find a way to grind the flour within an hour of when you start making the bread, you'll notice a big difference in the flavor. Anybody with a powerful blender like a Vitamix can usually grind flour in only small quantities, but enough enough to conduct this experiment and see what results. That's been on my to-do list for a while, and I just haven't done it. (laughs) What, grinding the flour? Yeah, grinding the flour and just making it fresh, because we had this conversation, Steve, a while ago about the freshness of flour and how it affects the taste of the bread. And I'm very why interested to see this difference, but obviously not interested enough because I haven't done it. <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I've had people give me feedback on that one that have tried it. And, uh, 
and, and, and they always come up with the same conclusion too. I know yeah. Sarah wants to talk about your favorite lockdown cooking challenges. So th- there's one that I wanted to do and I never did. So <laughs> do you do either one of you want to talk about something that you did do? Sure. Okay. So I may have already mentioned this on the podcast, but I'm not a very good cook or a baker, although I, I still do it. Just sometimes the results are not. <laughs> Fantastic. However, um, I have think I think I've perfected the ultimate vegan muffin. So it's a chocolate banana walnut muffin. And mm-hmm. it's actually from like this weird paleo cookbook that one of my housemates has. So I just like made all sorts of substitutions to make it vegan. And they're so good. And I think that the key um, that I will share is that you make like a banana date paste as the sweetener. So you just get some ripe bananas, um, soak some regular dates, and then you just blend it all and add like some vanilla extract, maybe a little like maple syrup. And that's like the the sweetness. Um, and it's so good. Like the texture is really nice. It's kind of like light and fluffy and kind of cakey almost, which I find is hard to achieve in a, a vegan muffin. So that is my little success. This is not during the lockdown, but I really like the texture of zucchini muffins. And I've made them zucchini muffins with like chocolate chips in it. I find those have a really nice texture. Yeah, totally. Nice and light. Okay, so I guess, you know, this would have actually qualified for our Halloween story, okay? because it's a, it's a scary story. So mm-hmm. this was a few years back. I have uh, friends in Montreal who told me about this place. So Laval is like, I would say Laval is like the Mississauga for Montreal, like Toronto, Mississauga. So you have Montreal, Laval. Okay. Um, sure. Yes, I'm just trying to give comparisons to people. If they're interested yeah. where the city is. Uh, anyway, so, uh, my friends told me, like, yeah, there's a place in Laval. It's called Tao TAU. It's a grocery store and they have their own vegan cheese and it's so good. And so I'm like, okay, must get it. And so I got it and it melted so nicely. You know, I feel like that's one of the issues. Like the newer cheese now, I feel like the, the, the day of the cutting board shreds or something like that, whatever that, that version is that they have, those ones melt pretty nicely. But at that time, a few years ago, that variety wasn't out. So anyway, I was really just very excited about this um, this vegan cheese. And after I ate it, I was like, oh, it sucks that we can't get this, you know, in Toronto. Um, and it had this, like, odd ingredient. It's like vegan casein. I'm like, you know, I never heard of that. But I know the casein is the thing that makes it, like, stretchy and gooey. So it makes sense that this is why this cheese, you know, is so good. And it even looks almost like cheese, uh, much more like cheese than the, the vegan cheeses do. And then we found out that it was not vegan. So, yeah, it was not vegan. I mean, it said on the thing, like it was just fraud, okay? Because it said right on the packaging that it was vegan. But we went back to get more, uh, I don't know, like a month later. And they're like, yeah, it was a big thing. Turned out it wasn't vegan. So we pulled it off the shelves. And Oh, so the place you bought it didn't actually make it. They, They got it from somewhere else then. Yeah, they got it from somewhere else, and I guess it was just like a small manufacturer. It wasn't like a, a company, I guess. Maybe someone was making it out of the kitchen. I have no idea. But, um, yeah, and there's really nothing to be done. It's just, look, I ate this thing that wasn't vegan, and um, yeah. that's about it. So that was, like, very scary and very annoying, and I hate it because I went around telling people, like, this cheese is so good. Ah. And then it turns out it's like, yeah, it wasn't vegan. And I hate this this thing that I have in the back of my mind. Well, it was so good because it wasn't vegan, you know? That's mm. not, uh, yeah, yeah. I've definitely done that with like a delicious, like a delicious baked good or something where I looked at it after and I was like, oh no, like there's, 
once I, I ate something that had like egg yolk powder in it. I was like, what is that even? Why? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah. no, I hate that I enjoyed that. <laughs> yeah. 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 Oh, okay. Scary stories. Scary stories. Okay. I'm going to take another stab at it if no one go else ahead. has to go. This is a this is a sad thing. I don't really have much to say about it, but okay. When we think about fish and fish emotions, the general consensus on that, I think most people think like, oh, fish don't feel anything. We can kill them all we want, right? Like there's that kind of feeling that they're so different from us. But there's this book that I was reading called Evil. That's that's just the name, Evil, and it it talked about how fish depression is so close to humans depression that scientists use them to study humans and i did not look more into it because i'm like no i don't want to know how they start test on them to make them depressed and then do the testing afterwards but just this fact that you know our emotions are so similar between us and fish but we think of them as so different it, it makes me sad yeah on, on the subject of should you eat fish uh which which i confronted uh when I first became a vegetarian, which is, uh, mm-hmm. I reflected back to when I was a child and family took me fishing mm-hmm. and I caught the fish. I enjoyed the game and then it was over and I saw the fish thrusting around like it wanted to get back in the water. And I could tell it was it was panicking because it was out of the water and it was a terrible, terrible feeling it had. I, I could see that and I wanted to throw it back in. So that that was why I, at that point, when I first became veg- vegetarian, uh, nope, I, I'm not going to eat fish. Definitely not, because I I could identify with that. We we can see this if we look at the right time in the fish's life. Mm. Uh, otherwise, I have I haven't seen fish fish's emotions in any way when uh, <laughs> when be, being around uh, in houses where there were uh, goldfish or tropical fish uh, in a tank. I, I didn't see much of uh, that I could relate to as emotion, but mm-hmm. that uh, but that panic that uh, it, it's like a person not being able to get air. If a fish can't get water, it's going to die soon, and, and it knows it and it struts around to try to get back in the water. So, speaking of uh, goldfish in Italy in Monza, you actually can't keep goldfish in a bowl. It's illegal to keep goldfish in a bowl because oh, fish have yeah, goldfish have really good eyesight. And so it's cruel to keep them in that warped environment. Oh. Because uh, the glass, right? The circular glass, yeah. it warps their, their vision. Yeah. I think that's pretty cool. That we have, like, people fighting for goldfish, right? You know? Because they're, they're probably at the bottom of the barrel in terms of things that we care about as a society. Um, but still, there are, there are laws being formed around them. I think that's very, very positive. A happy little takeaway. Yeah, there's a negative thing happening with goldfish around the... Uh... Hamilton Harbor is a place I've heard it's happening, too, is enough goldfish have been dropped in the water of Lake Ontario there, and they have no predators, apparently, and uh, an abundance of food, and the goldfish are uh, a foot, a foot and a half long. They're, they're, they're huge compared to what we normally see as goldfish. Is uh, this because, oh gosh, is this because people are flushing goldfish down the toilets? That's one of the ways to get in the harbor, I think, but I'm, I, I, I haven't researched it to find that out. But uh, but they're uh, they have no predators there, and they uh, and they have lots of food apparently of things that they they want to eat. But but they grow an enormous size, and uh, we we think of a goldfish as this thing that's two or three inches long, and it's, uh, it could be two or three feet long if it keeps growing, and if it's given an abundance of food, it will. Mm-hmm. I had no idea the goldfish could grow that big. It's funny how we yeah. always picture them as these tiny little creatures, but yeah, 
Same thing when I first saw this uh, news story. I thought that was interesting, yeah. But uh, but they're obviously not in their natural habitat, and that's what's uh, that's also scary about it because who knows how that's going to upset the rest of the ecosystem there. Uh, mm. Okay, I have a I have an interesting story. Uh-huh. I have an interesting story. <laughs> okay, so uh, I've spoken about this company a few times on this podcast. Perfect Day. They're the ones that make um, milk, cow's milk from bacteria from yeast. Okay. And so they, uh, back in the day when they were trying to get fundraising, they went to um, Horizon Ventures, which is funded by, oh, this is a side note, okay? So Horizon Ventures was funded by one of Asia's wealthiest men who who has $34 billion, my goodness. And he's a devout Buddhist and he's a near vegan. Oh, and he's thought of as one of um, Asia's most powerful men. And he's referred to as China's Superman. This guy's name is Li Ka-Shing. Anyway, so, again, the company that he funds is Horizon Ventures. So Perfect Day went to them to get funding. They brought their milk from the U.S. over to China. And they gave it to this woman who was, um, I guess, going through their pitch. Her name is Solani Chow. And she, Solina Chow, and she, uh, you know, drinks the milk. And they're all just tense there. Like, oh, what is she going to think about our milk? And she like that's um that's terrible. <laughs> and the the reason that she thought that the milk was so terrible is because Chinese milk drinkers are accustomed to ultra high temperature pasteurized milk. Um, so it's like a sweeter beverage that has like a caramel flavor, and American milk drinkers just aren't used to this. So they didn't realize that difference, and so they're like, okay, we'll account for this, and then everything went fine, and they got the money. But it's interesting how we process things differently country by country. Yeah. That triggers something for me, Sweta. I, I don't know if this is like a vegan fact, but is anyone else just like very confused as to why people drink lactose free milk? Like I understand it's like if you're lactose intolerant and yeah. you enjoy cow's milk, you drink lactose free milk. But like to me, that just seems so strange. I've never understood it. And also, like, I don't quite understand um, chemically how lactose is removed from milk, but I just find that to be such a confusing thing. And, like, why would you, if your body cannot digest something, why would you remove it and then eat the thing? <laughs> there are it's there are a lot of people who are allergic to uh, lactose uh, and to varying degrees. To some of them, it's just a mild thing, but it does cause some indigestion and so on. And they don't realize it until they've been diagnosed and they've been told your, your digestion will improve a lot if you stop consuming lactose. Those, those aren't the people that are terribly allergic and, 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 and become sick at the time, but on the long term, it does affect their health and, and they get told this. So, uh, and there's more of them these days as, uh, as medicine progresses. I've, uh, I, I have met a lot of them in my time. Uh, Similar thing happens with wheat allergies, actually. A lot of people talk about being uh, gluten intolerant, where a certain number of people have uh, have celiac and and are seriously uh, become very ill when they consume wheat. But a lot of others have a more mild allergy that's still there. I think of two things uh, when you said that, Sarah. I wonder if anyone's listening to this podcast and thinking like, yeah, but what about you vegans? I mean, you won't drink cow's milk, but you'll drink almond's milk. It's the same thing. <laughs> That's one thing. <laughs> and then the other thing is that um, Perfect Day, that, that vegan cow's milk company, 
they are actually going to make a lactose-free milk. I don't know if all their milk is going to be lactose-free, but uh, they're definitely going to have a line of lactose-free milk. I, I don't know. I, I get it. I mean, you want you want something in your, your cereal, and for some reason almonds are really gross, so uh, you use lactose-free cow's milk instead. I don't I don't understand why you wouldn't drink almond milk rather than cow's milk if yeah. you had a lactose intolerance. That I don't understand. Cause I, and I think I said this on a podcast before. Um, I, I kind of remember milk, or not remember, I remember even like when I was drinking milk, thinking that it kind of had a taste of a plastic bag. You know, like a fresh plastic bag. Yes, sir, you get it. I said that to Barbie and she's like, what are you talking about? But I want I want everyone to go to their metro or Loblaws or no frills or whatever and just open up a fresh bag and sniff it that's what milk is like that's so true i never thought about that yes so i guess my my uh, comment on that is not to be judgmental like i feel like every one of us you know has strange decisions that we choose to make based on the information we have but i just find it interesting that like as human beings you know we we experience something in our bodies like oh my body doesn't digest this or i get a stomach ache when i consume this and then we continue to consume it but in a chemically altered way i just find that so interesting psychologically and I'm saying, you know, we're all, I think a lot of us are guilty of it, whether it's like, for, for example, I get stomach aches when I eat a lot of cruciferous veggies and I still eat them. So yeah, it's just an interesting commentary. <laughs> I'm sorry, I just want to call you a nerd. <laughs> Everyone else is like, I, I get, my head hurts when I eat too much sugar. I feel something when I eat too much salt. You're like, I eat too many cruciferous vegetables. <laughs> I just love cabbage. I can't help it. <laughs> Nerd alert! <laughs> Vegan problems. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Is this also true if you eat uh, spurts from these uh, plants? Or have you tried? I actually haven't tried. Maybe that will be my, my little goal. Thanks for that. Press to the rescue. Okay, uh, a weird fact. And um, I'm going to refer back to... Uh, do you know Adam Ruins Everything? It's um it, it comes on a channel that we don't get here in Canada, but you can find him on YouTube, and I'll put a link in the show notes. So he had this episode about uh, why you should never eat fish in restaurants, and in that episode he talked about uh, salmon and how salmon is usually gray. Uh, and uh, sorry, not all salmon. So salmon that they grow in fish farms, that salmon is gray, and so they have to add color to it to make it that pink color that we know of salmon. And I just thought, okay, it's just like this dye that they use, and everyone just has a standard dye that they use. But no, that's not the case. There's something called salmophan, and you can think of it like when you go to the store, when you go to, like, Canadian Tire to buy paint. You know how you get very different variations of green? Okay, you get that palette. There's the same thing for salmon colors. Isn't that, like, the most disgusting thing you've oh. ever heard? Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, so they can choose which color of pink they want. There are 15 different shades, you know, that you can choose from. How nice. And 70% of farms um, that use this, they use the chemicals. Uh, they come from petrochemicals, basically, uh, these colors that we have. <laughs> I don't know, that's so disturbing. That's so disturbing. Like, just yeah. stop eating fish. This is, this is like, I don't understand necessarily this, uh, you know, the, the point that, that Sarah, I kind of understand what Sarah's saying, but at the same time, I know I'm one of those people that would drink the lactose-free milk if I drank cow's milk. <laughs> but this I don't understand. Like, just, can we just not eat salmon? Do we really have to color it afterwards? This is just weird. This is just weird. Yeah. yeah. 
Regarding your previous comment, did you mean that you were at one point diagnosed as as lactose intolerant before you uh, before you became vegan? No, no, I wasn't diagnosed. It's just if yes. I was diagnosed and if I was drinking cow's milk, I would imagine myself being amongst the people that said, "Eh, whatever, body, I'm using this yep. lactose female." Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, that salmon fact—that's really disturbing. Yeah. yeah, this is from the book Reality Bubble. It's such an interesting book. This fact is from it. And then some other fact that I said earlier, the goldfish one, that's from there as well. And, uh, and, it, and it continues. The fun continues because salmon isn't the only thing that's being colored. Mm. The yolks are being colored, too. And you can no, get really? 16, yeah, 16 different colors. Wait, why? why? Yep, why? Why? <laughs> why? Why? And also, it, different countries have different preferences. In Asia, they prefer a lighter color. New Zealand prefers a, a darker orange hue. And what they do is they actually add this into the feed. So they add what they call carophil, okay, which is like a trademark product, uh, which is red and yellow, and they add that to the feed, and that affects the yolk. And what is the purpose? Is it because a deeper, like a different hue is more, like people think it's more nutritious or tastes better? Yeah, I mean, I guess they do the same kind of things to, like, tomatoes and strawberries and stuff, too, right? right? Yep. So it's just we like the way that certain things look, and we won't eat them otherwise, even though it's, it's yeah. perfectly and healthy. Maybe yeah, sometimes we don't even – I was going to say, sometimes we don't even know. They just – the marketing people say this sells better, so that's what they yeah. do. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I can't imagine, you know, if I ate fish, I cannot imagine being like, yeah, that gray thing there, I'll eat that, you know? Yeah, true. So, uh, but it's just, I don't know, it's disturbing uh, how much was, we alter our food. Going back a while, and uh, you're both younger than I am, and maybe it was, it might have been before your time, there used to be a big controversy about uh, whether or not coloring was to be allowed in margarine, hmm. uh, because the uh, dairy industry was always screaming that that made it look too much like butter, and it would be passed off as butter. And this and the and the dairy industry did not want that, and had a lot of political clout. But it turned out that they have coloring in both. <laughs> the dairy industry got caught on that one. Uh, wow, that's an they, interesting one. They had a lot of coloring to butter too. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so that got rid of that myth. <laughs> that reminds me of the Hellman's Just Mayo battle. Do you know that battle? So. So, um, Just Mayo, which is from the company Just, and they produce all kinds of like, quote unquote, egg type products. So they produce like egg replacement products, and they're also getting into uh, the, the, um, the fake meat, the uh, lab grown meat. And so they have a mayo called Just Mayo. So they have the word mayo in there, but it's not actually mayonnaise because it doesn't have eggs. So, you know, how dare they? And Hellman's went after them. I think they, they personally tried to sue them. Okay. Um, or they just launched a complaint with the FDA. I don't remember which version it was. And the thing of it was is that Hellman has Hellman's has something that they call mayo, which also doesn't meet the the requirements for mayonnaise. And so afterwards, <laughs> they they like went back on their website and stuff like that, and they start changing things. And people are like hypocrites, and it just looked like you know uh, the big company going after the little guy, and it it was not good for them. And of course now they actually have a vegan mayo. Huh. Is it good? <laughs> Have you tried it? Hellman's does? Yeah, Hellman's does, yeah. Okay. Um, I, didn't, I, I know there are vegan meals on, but I didn't know Hellman's it, Okay. Yeah, they have, they, it actually says vegan on it, so it's not like accidentally vegan or something like that. It actually yeah. says uh-huh. vegan. It's, it's no vegan ace, 
but nothing can ever be veganese, right? So it's no, it's no great seed oil veganese because that stuff's the best. But it's good. It's uh, I I'd go for veganese every time, but the Hellman's one is a little bit cheaper. And actually, it's probably just better. Just make your own. Make aquafaba mayo. Yeah, it I tastes was say, well, similar. Yeah. yeah, it tastes pretty similar to veganese. I can't get the taste of the grapeseed veganese at home. I don't know how to do it. Like I've bought grapeseed oil, it just doesn't taste the same. But um, aquafaba mayo tastes pretty much like regular veganese. Okay, so speaking of things being called things that they're not. So this story comes to us a few years back from the UK. So UK has this supermarket called Sainsbury's, and they had just come out with a line of vegan cheeses. And so this is going on on Facebook, this conversation, and they announced this. And some person uh, gets uh, in a huff about it, and she's like, Oh, how come you call it cheese? I don't care what you call it. Just don't call it cheese. Call it Gary. I don't care. Just don't call it cheese. And then people start going along with this. Okay, Gary, you're going to start calling this thing Gary. And I love it. I love it. Sainsbury's, the supermarket, they start playing around with it as well. So they actually changed the packaging. Um, I mean, they photoshopped the packaging. They didn't change the stuff that they sell. But they cha- they photoshopped the packaging and they posted it and actually said Gary on it. And now a lot of vegans do call a cheese Gary. My partner refuses what? to say vegan cheese. That's not a thing. It's called Gary. And if you've ever been to Globally Local, they have a grilled Gary. And if you're wondering, oh. why is it called a grilled Gary? Well, now you know. Oh. <laughs> I love that. That's such a funny, convoluted story. Yes, yes, yes. Gary. Uh, Gary. And w- with one R, with one R. And okay. oh my goodness, so we were, we were in, um, we were doing a walking tour in Toronto, even though we live here, yes. And yeah. the tour guy's name, <laughs> the tour guy's name was Gary. And my partner leans over and he's like, that's such a weird name. Why would his parents name him after food? Because <laughs> <Huh. laughs> that's, but that's all we think of now. That's all we think of. And he tried to go into bloomers and ask for a bagel with, Gary, and that didn't work. <laughs> cream Gary, sorry, Cream Gary. Yes, and that did not. They didn't get it, or they like they didn't get the reference. No, they didn't get it. They I wouldn't explain it. I wouldn't have picked up on that one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I miss bloomers. Oh my goodness. They are still open. Good. With yummy donuts. I I had the the Christmas donut. There was a um a, a gingerbread person, and it was very good, and it was filled with frosting. And it was oh. good. These, oh, oh, so Sarah, just to explain to you, these are the kinds of things that the rest of us eat that make us not feel so good. (laughs) I just don't have a sweet tooth, but I do miss their bagels. My goodness, those are delicious and pillowy and just the best. And they just smell incredible, too, the ones with, like, all the different seeds. Yes. I didn't realize bagels were supposed to taste like until I went to Bloomers. Oh, they're just incredible. Those things in the grocery store are disgusting. I don't know what those are, but those are not bagels. <laughs> it's so terrible. Sawdust. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, yes, it's a bagel product. Yeah, it's a bagel product that's shaped like a bagel but doesn't taste like anything. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask if we would be able to highlight, because it's um, Black History Month, whether there's any black-owned um, food businesses that we could speak about in Toronto. I was just thinking about that. Yeah, uh, One Love. Uh, oh, I love that place. There's Veggie Delight in Kensington. Veggie Delight, that was the one I'm trying to say. Peter, yeah. oh my gosh, what a lovely man. Yeah, 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 he is. The, the main main ones in Scarborough, there used to be one. Idle Vital. Idle Vital. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
Talk so, about nourishing and delicious. I like Veggie Delight a little better for my own taste, but uh, between between those two, one love is totally separate. <laughs> yeah, one love, the barbecue tofu. I've talked about this several times on the podcast. Oh, it's yep. unreal. So good. Yeah. Yes. Their yeah. corn soup. Oh. I, I don't know what kind of magic she's doing over there. Yeah. But I want it. Yes. Yeah. If she uh, if she had cooking classes, I would totally be up for those. Tell her that. Uh, I'll tell her that next time I see her. There's one in Eglinton called, um, oh, yeah. I think it's called Celebrity. Yes. Yeah. I haven't yeah, been I have, there, but I've heard I've, of it. Right. Same with me. Uh, so there, 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 there are a few around, and uh, in a lot of cases, the, there's quite a tradition of veganism uh, in the islands, uh, particularly with the Rasta philosophy. So, yeah. Uh, so, so you do get a number of uh, businesses coming out of that tradition. And we, we did talk about that on our podcast with Aikila from One Love. Oh, and yeah. That yeah, that's yeah. out 476 if you want to go back. That yeah. was a good one. Oh, that was a good conversation. Yeah, yeah. And changing the subject again a little, uh, getting away from food. Uh, I'm, that's part of the reason I'm interested in pursuing this uh, following up uh, Medicago, plant-based uh, vaccine producer that, that is working on development of vaccine in Quebec City. Interesting that everyone else is using animal products for the basis uh, for the vaccines, and uh, they're using a relative of the tobacco plant. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. I think we sometimes need to look at the products other than the things we eat as part of our, uh, our reason for acting this way, too. So you know what all of our listeners can do now? They can take all these wonderful facts that they've learned, and they can go to the online lunch club that the TVA has and share with people. So this online lunch club, if you haven't heard of it, it's still going on and uh, it's so much fun. Thursdays at noon, you can bring your lunch to Zoom uh, on a Zoom call and then vegetarians and vegans can chat, ask questions if they're new to uh, veganism. They can offer answers if they've been there for a while um, and support others if you uh, are already vegan. So RSVP on Facebook, the Zoom link will be posted there each week, and the link is going to be in our show notes. And then also, um, coming soon, there's going to be another online free cooking demo slash webinar in February, and just stay tuned for details. To find out more about it, join or sign up at the Toronto Veg News at the bottom of veg.ca. So once again, thank you for listening to Veg Out. Remember, you can listen to past episodes on our app, The Veg Guide, and at veg.ca slash vegout. Find out everything you need to know about what we do at veg.ca. And until next time, Veg Out. So many fish facts.